1: Stripes were just getting started, and so their whole trip was kind of interesting to all of us. There wasn't anybody. Well, there was Bantam Rooster. There were bands that were doing two-piece
0: stuff and R&B-based two-piece stuff.
2: Plus, every other mother in this town's a rock star who thinks they are. Yeah,
0: yeah.
2: are a dime a dozen. Yeah. Yeah. Can't throw a rock without hitting a rock star.
0: My name is T. Jackson Potter.
2: I'm Mick Collins.
0: Um. Careful now.
2: My name is Jim Diamond. I'm a homosexual.
1: (laughs) Okay, thank you all for coming here today. I really appreciate... Okay, I'm going to have to... Sir, I'm going to have to ask you to sit down. Okay, I need to make sure everyone can see. All right, thank you everyone very much for coming. As you know... I've called you all here for the rose ceremony to pick I love which one roses of... Sir, I told you to sit down. They're it's not pretty. fair to the it's not fair to everybody else.
0: Yes, sit man. down.
1: Um and I am ca- I've called you here today for the rose ceremony as I said and I'm here to pick the I love other roses. Me- the other member of the rock duo that I'm starting and so I would like to uh, let me just get this bouquet here. Thank you very much. Now, I am going to uh, call you up one by one. And if you receive a rose, that means you're still in the running. And I will say your name and the instrument that you play. Okay. So, okay. Cool. first, I would like to call up. It's uh, This is somebody I've thought long and hard about. And is it roses? I, and I would really just like to present this one here to my first... Cake of the night, Mr. Johnny Liberty. Johnny, if you'd like to come back hey, up here, you can get this uh, rose I'm hey. walking up over here. Yeah, uh, that's, you are. That's my you kid. You are walking up. That's, that's your my kid. Johnny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Johnny, I'm going to need, first of all, I'm going to need you to stop pointing at everyone here and saying that they're your child. That's my kid. Uh, Johnny, I put him through uh, college. Ta- She knows it. Me and him, we go to the Big Apple. We go to school. He's my kid. A, a couple volume notches. Johnny's down. So Johnny here plays the ham bone, and Johnny gets one of these. And go ahead, you can go back and Watch sit down. Watch me, Johnny. ham bone. Watch go, me. go back Watch and sit down, go. Johnny. Okay, feel, now for my no. next, my next rose, I would You're like. To. Get, to get your hands off me. I'm getting a taxi over here. You do not touch me or my kid again or I so help me God. No one. I will find you and I will put you on top of the Statue of Liberty and I will push you onto a raft because I'm not a killer. You hear me? I'm regretting the rose. It's caused a lot of turmoil. (laughs) Get your hands off me. Okay, so I'd like to present now my next rose is going to a very, very special performer and that would be to Ms. Mama Lafarge. Mama, if you'd like to come... Oh, thank you! I love a rose! It smells so wonderful! Oh, and you've lost a little weight! You're all skin and bones! Uh, yeah, thank she, you, Mama. That's in amazing. amazing. Get out. <laughs> <laughs> Just get out. <laughs> Alright, I would like to present my last rose... Uh, to and Mama Lafarge played the uh, the banjo. Um, I'd <laughs> like to present my last rose uh, to somebody very special, Mr. Carl Butterball. Carl, here's a rose. Oh, I don't think I would like a rose unless it's deep fried in a good old fashioned giblet stew. I don't tell me I can't deep fry it in a yeah. stew that's what I was missing. Some of that some of that good old-fashioned southern southern cooking. (laughs) Come
2: straight from my car, butterball, Rose stew, turkey, giblet, family
1: farm recipe. Don't tell me what I can't do. (laughs) (laughs) Carl, uh, interestingly enough, (laughs) Uh, Who's this this rapscallion over here? Hey, I'm walking over here. Get out of my way, turkey boy. No, I'm refused. You'll get your hand off my turkey, you photodicated. All right, all right, all right. Break it up, break it up. Uh, (laughs) Hey, all right, all right. For anyone wondering... uh, That turkey's my kid. for, (laughs) (laughs) For anyone wondering, Carl plays the turkey, and... That means somebody has to go home and I'm sorry Swank you have to Swank you have to go home. I'm so sorry. Yes? Yes, I know I know that your home is wherever I am, but you have to leave. Yes, I love you too. Yes. Bye pickles. Okay. This was a disaster. welcome to the third men podcast i am your co-host paul kaminsky and i'm your other co-host james kaminsky (laughs) that's a great segue into telling you that this is our jack white history podcast where we go over all things jack white and sometimes we interview famous people and that just so happens to be this this episode (laughs) (laughs) yes paul and i hope they forgive us for our lousy sketches and awful voice work um Heyo! Anyway, so we're talking to a very special guest today with an extended interview show, and this very special guest is a Detroit music staple. He has been in many bands that both predate the White Stripes and beyond. He is a real central force in the Detroit rock scene, and of course, James, I am talking of Tom Potter. Yes, former Dirt Bomb, one half of Bantam Rooster, who I think... Would have gotten along well with Carl Butterball and his turkey-based uh, jamboree band. Yeah. In um, retrospect, maybe we just should have done that. Maybe we should have. We didn't. We so... didn't do that. We were thrilled to be able to talk to Tom, and it was very kind of Tom to join us for this show. It's always a pleasure to uh, to speak to musicians, let alone musicians of such notoriety. And Tom Potter was just so gracious and so nice and full of so many awesome stories about the Detroit music scene and uh, obviously the music scenes of all of michigan really lansing we covered all kinds of stuff so we're really excited to be able to bring that to you today in an extended interview yeah he was very kind with his time and thank you tom for joining us and i feel like we could have talked to you for hours and hours but uh, we appreciate you Uh, tolerating us and Mm -hmm. getting drunk with me specifically Uh, (laughs) I was the only sober one for this one and it was a very interesting experience and we're happy to bring it to you but before we get to all of that James is there something we should stop doing Paul maybe podcasting but um, (laughs) no James there's not is there something we should start I'm giving you a signal is there something we should start nope clapping nope is there something we should start uh <laughs> muppeting uh, Kermit the fro thinking mind melding is there something we should start <laughs> face palming picarding is there something we should start laughing uh this killing is time? every single one's got a story to tell
0: oh <laughs> <laughs> every single one's got a story to tell
1: every single one's got a story to tell james would you like to tell the people what every single one's got a story to tell is i would love to paul every single one's got a story to tell it's the segment of the show in which somebody out there has an experience in the jack white world and uh, they they go and tell us and we tell you the listeners the story that they have to tell Yes, James. That's right. We got two of them this week, James. One comes from Nick Langford. Nick, thank you so much for writing in. Nick wrote in to uh, tell us that he is a 14-year-old Jack fan, and uh, he said he hasn't had many opportunities to see him, so when he heard that he was coming to the Grand Metropolis of Omaha, uh, he was very excited, and uh, his dad came home with Boarding House Reach and did not care for it, apparently. And while he wasn't initially crazy about it. His attitude about it changed when he heard Ice Station Zebra live. So that is really cool to hear. I'm glad that you enjoyed that version of uh, Ice Station Zebra, Nick, because it seems like it helped to turn around your feeling about the album. But he said the real turning point in the set was... The uh, bunch of songs fell in love with a girl into Screwdriver, into You Don't Know What Love Is, into Canon, and then 16 Saltines. That is quite a little string of tunes there. yeah it's a powerhouse right there. Yeah, Screwdriver is one of my favorites. So I'm really happy to hear that he played that. And then uh, he asked us what group of songs would be in our ideal Jack Set list. I think Screwdriver would be in mine. Yeah, probably mine too. I was thinking about it yesterday and I was like, man, I wish he played that at Amagang, but. I think he played it at the Warsaw, so I think I did get to hear it there. But, yeah, that's a uh, a very rambunctious, powerful tune. I would always want that one to be in a set list, I think. Yeah. I would love to hear Never Far Away live. Mm. I love that song, and I would love to hear that. And I would love to hear him play either City Lights or um, Love is the Truth live. Yeah, hearing the songs that we haven't heard before is always on our radars. Mm-hmm you know even uh you know portland oregon i'd love to hear live Ooh, yeah that'd be a good one yeah and fortunately uh loretta is still with us Yes. So it could happen. There's songs, obviously, that he does play on the tours pretty consistently that would probably still be on my list, like Carolina Drama. So, Yeah, and you did recently hear that one, which we'll learn about next episode, James. Ooh, yes. Ooh. So that's very nice, Nick. Thank you so much for writing in. It was great to hear from you. And the next one here we have is from one of our regulars, James Rain Prosper, mm-hmm. who wrote in to tell us that she finally saw Jack in New Orleans at the Jazz Fest And she said she particularly enjoyed We Are Gonna Be Friends from that show, the sing-along style, and she had a great time. It looks like this is the first time she actually saw Jack, and she says that I'm glad to finally know the magic that is feeling the energy off that man while he does what he does on stage and i can relate so thank you so much rain we're really happy that you got to experience that at the jazz fest yes uh, sounds like a good time yeah definitely a good crowd pleaser and a intimate song is we are going to be friends you know one that you you really can feel a connection so it's nice yeah so those are both wonderful and that's uh, been every single one's got a story to tell yeah In the all right james so we're gonna get into this interview here there's a lot it ran long so we we're just gonna hop right in here and uh, again thank you to tom for uh, joining us and we're gonna we're just gonna jump right in james let's jump on in paul would like to welcome a very special guest this week we are thrilled to be talking here with tom potter musician detroit native are you from detroit no no actually well actually i was born in detroit i was born
2: just outside of detroit in a little suburb uh, called oak park back in the late 60s my old man was a police officer there and then uh but then about 72 or so i think we moved to beautiful charlotte michigan which you've never heard of Okay. It's spelled like Charlotte, but we call it Charlotte because we're from Michigan and we mispronounce all that
1: shit. (laughs) Sounds perfectly sane. Yeah. yeah,
2: And that's, that's pretty much where I grew
1: up. So let's call you a lifelong Michigander. Would that be fair?
2: Yes, I am a born
1: Michigander. A man of the mitten. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Tom, I swear to God we're sort of professionals. Actually, I take that back. We're not professionals. Yeah, not professionals at all, but I'll put on my my dumb radio voice to sound professional. We got Tom Potter on the line. So, yeah, thanks for joining us today, Tom. We kind of wanted to just walk through your musical journey and touch on some of your interactions with Jack and the sort of the Detroit rock boom of the turn of the millennium. But we wanted to start at the beginning here. And if you could tell us a little bit about your influences growing up, uh, how you got started in music. Did you come from a musical family? No, no, not really,
2: actually. I mean, I mean, I you know, I don't even know if my, either of my folks know. Neither, neither of them actually playing an instrument or anything. But, yeah, not really a musical family or anything. I was just stuck living in Charlotte, Michigan, and so anything that clicking was different or cool, it wasn't what you heard every day on the radio or saw every day on TV or what have you. I was interested in it so and stuff. Yeah. So and then my you know, my mom used to go to garage sales and things, buy me buy me forty fives. Right. Right. So a lot of that stuff, like going to the chapel by the Dixie cups and talking about right. the <laughs> machine, all that kind of stuff. And then, uh, when I was in sixth or seventh grade, uh, we had a record store in Charlotte. I walked in there one day and they had the first Minor Threat 7 inch and the first SOA 7 inch. And boy, those things just look like something that you shouldn't legally be allowed to own. So I was really intrigued. And then, uh, so, uh, yeah, and then, of course, and then the guy's like, well, if I sell them to you, you can't tell your parents where you got them. I'm like, well, I'll take them. Yeah, and... Uh,
1: <laughs> little did you know, there were no actual records in there. It was just packed full of weed. It was just... <laughs> yeah. I was
2: I was on my way to a church youth group meeting, so uh, basically my buddy and I just <laughs> cut out of the youth group meeting and went up to one of the Sunday school rooms and played those records on one of those little mono high, you know, record players up there.
1: And it it was accidentally tied to the bell-ringing system of the... uh of the entire church and the entire town. Heard. That would be so good. That, that's some pretty hardcore punk stuff. Was that what grabbed you? Like, did you gravitate toward that naturally? Because it sounds like up until that point you were into some more sort of melodic sounding stuff.
2: I've always been, especially musically, I've always been interested in just about anything as long as it's not, you know, as long as it's not the shit that they played like on FM radio when I was growing up, you know, Sticks mm. and all that kind of, you know, those faceless <laughs> freaking garbage bands like that. But, uh, you
1: know, so I mean, it was like, you know, <laughs> done. Somewhere, Dennis the Young is crying a
0: single tear. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry,
1: Dennis. Sorry, Dennis. but you suck.
2: You know? <laughs> but yeah, no. you know. But so it's, you know, it's before buyer threat and soa, it was it was like you know just a cheap trick, ACDC, you know, yeah. Black Sabbath, stuff like that. You know, That's and right. then, you know, it hardcore appealed to me though because it was so freaking simple too, you know? It was right, simple, right. but it was intense. It was great, you know? And it was like, anybody could do it, which I've learned now that everybody can do it or at least do it well, but.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah,
2: you know, it's like, but you could you know, if you really want to, you could
1: do it. That's the appeal, right? It's like what links the punk movement to like the very early rock movement and even like early Beatles stuff, right? It's like, you could look at that and say, oh, I could do that. Or like, hey, that could be me. And then yeah. suddenly you're, Playing three chords and you know people are screaming at you.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, there's a reason that the Beatles inspired like every 60s garage rock band ever. Right. right yeah. <laughs> I guess them are the Stones too, right? But sure,
1: sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think the Stones probably had more of a influence on the the heavier stuff, or at least on the angrier political side of it. But um
2: yeah, yeah, I thought, I, I, I You know, people are always like Beatles or Stones, and I'm like Kinks,
1: man yes <laughs> 100 skipping ahead here a little bit to 89 just say no is the first release i could find from you that you were playing on is that the first band you sat in on and played with or was there other stuff in the interim there
2: that was just the first band that released something so
1: okay i think um,
2: you know i was in i was in the Bunch of other bands, basically from like about age 15, 16. I was in a whole bunch of bands. But just so you know, I got into when I was 17 or 18. But all the other guys in the band were all 10 years older than me. And, you know, they'd been in bands like the Meatmen Men and the Fix and all these, mm-hmm. folks, you know, Lansing hardcore bands, Violent Apathy and stuff. And, uh, and so, you know, they're kind of my heroes. And they're all 10 years older than me. So basically, sure. basically they just get me <laughs> up and just watch me go.
0: Smoking 12 cigarettes, wearing black, you know, with my hair, fire burning in her eyes. That little chick took me completely by surprise. I said, I love Lisa Danger, I love the pucker, I love Lisa Danger. <laughs> just in
2: the car and I'd just be, you know, jumbled around like some sort of idiot. <laughs> so you got thrown into the deep end, it sounds like. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they had a rule, you know, like you couldn't do, you had to do more than one drug. at a time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> So you and Jim Diamond have something in common. When we talked to Jim, he was telling us some interesting stories about this crazy-ass wake-up juice concoction he had. It was like pharmaceutical caffeine and whiskey and like (laughs) (laughs) it sounds like he was just getting wound up like a top or something and then flung out onto the stage (laughs) you guys have the equivalent of a two-drink minimum for just drugs of all sorts (laughs) um So, were you playing on their equipment, or did, did you have your own equipment?
0: Oh, I,
2: have my own uh, I mean, I have my own amp and guitar and everything too. Yeah, yeah. I still have actually the guitar that I played in that band. I still own it. It's like this. <laughs> it came in a grocery bag. It's like a guitar. <laughs> it was dude like saying, "Hey, I got this guitar. You want it?" And I'm like, "Yeah, how much? He's It's like twenty bucks. I'm like, "All right." It was like a Stratocaster copy thing or something. And so I put it together, and you know, I think the only piece that was missing was the pit guard. I got noes but you know it's like uh but yes yeah it came in a grocery bag but I I like that guitar a lot I still I still do play it every once in a while nice
1: Wow. Well, it seems like you have a DIY attitude towards that, which brings me to my next question, which is, uh, some of your early work includes design and layout for some bands, like Kill Devil Kill and Fireworks. Did you have ambitions to do album art, or did you just kind of fall into that?
2: I kind of fell into it, you know, because, you know, Kill Devil Hill is the band I was in, me and this guy Michael Babcock, and then John Olson, who's in Wolf Eyes now.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, nice.
2: Yeah, we did it, We did that. But yeah, it was just because I was, I was in the band, but also I'd been an art major at Michigan State which I don't recommend doing. <laughs> it's like majoring in art at your favorite business college. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, so, so my friend who was running that label, that was Easy Action Records, he, he just said, well, why don't you go ahead and do the artwork? And then he was going to do that fireworks seven inch right after that. So he's like, hey, why don't you do that too, you know, kind of thing. So sure. it's fun. And I've done some stuff since then. I've done like, all the Steger Liberation Army covers. I did right. those. I just don't credit myself with them, but I'm not that proud of them. It's just kind of fun now yeah. to, you know, lay out
1: stuff. So, stuff. Yeah, I mean, that's how uh, Bruce Brand, who you had talked to uh, earlier, he was in the milkshakes and stuff like that. He yeah, had yeah, all yeah. fallen into it the same way. Um Basically, his band said, like, hey, you like art, right? Do this. <laughs> and he's like, all right, yeah, cool, I'll, I'll do that. <laughs> yeah, so suddenly, before you know it, they're on their, their kitchen floor uh, pasting up, you know. <laughs> 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 that Fireworks single had some of your fellow Dirt Bombs in it, right, Dan Crow and, and Mick Collins? Yeah,
2: yeah. I believe that was recorded in... Oh, you know what? Actually, though, that Fireworks single wasn't on the action, it was on... Um... Another friend of mine's label, but anyways, yeah, that was I think I think that was recorded in Detroit, probably recorded, if not recorded by Dan, recorded like in Dan's basement mm-hmm. and stuff. I didn't really know those guys too well back then. That's why I was still living in Lansing back then. But yeah, yeah, and then of course Mick and then Darren from Fireworks went on to put together a laptop together. Yeah, really, and for that date, you know, in
1: 1995 or so, Laptop was going really forward-taking name for the band, I think. Right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh,
0: yeah,
1: it looks like H- Human Fly Records was the Human Fly, that's
2: thing. it. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you. yeah. yeah I, did, uh, I also ac- accidentally did a cover for the Soul Dad Brothers single on Human Fly, because a friend of mine worked at the print shop where they were printing up the covers for that stuff. And he loaned oh, nice. me the Soul Dad Brothers single. So I could listen to it, and then I lost it. Well, what we didn't know is that it was the original artwork was the cover for that single. So he could just copy it off later. So basically, we managed to lose the artwork. (laughs) So basically, I just whipped something out real quick for that. So I didn't credit myself on that one either. I can credit myself with losing the shit, but... (laughs) But yeah, and then then like... I think I'm like this might have been like four or five years later. I pull out like I don't know like a Howlin' Wolf record or something, and bing that single just fell out of it. Like I'm like oh there it is. I <laughs> I, I gave it back to Johnny and Ben. I'm like Ooh, sorry. Sure <laughs> <works."> <laughs> oh sorry,
1: I love it when that happens.
2: <laughs> oh, wasn't sold out brothers. Sorry, wasn't sold out brothers. Henry and June. It was their pre-sold. Dad brothers, oh man.
1: okay. Okay. Close enough. I mean, let's skip ahead a little bit to Bantam Rooster, because you guys were sort of the forerunners of a lot of this. I mean, you and Mick, I think, were on a similar track around a similar time, but you and Mick in particular, I feel like, were some of the real forerunners to the boon that would be happening sort of later in the 90s and earlier in the 2000s. So let's talk a little bit about the formation of Bantam Rooster. How did you and Eric link up originally?
2: His girlfriend and my girlfriend at the time worked together, and... And that old chestnut, sure. <laughs> They're like, you know, and my girlfriend's like, oh, well, Eric plays drums. I'm like, oh, no, no, I don't want to, you know, <laughs> yeah. Whatever you say, you know, it's like somebody saying, like, oh yeah, my grandma has records, you know, <laughs> my friend plays drums. It's like, you know, I don't want to meet this person, but uh, but I wound up I hung out with him, and you know, we shared a love for, um, you know, old John Woo movies and stuff like that. Actually, we weren't old then, I guess. So then, you know, then we just started playing together. He was playing drums at the time in the band called Gravatar. Which, uh... Mm-hmm. Oh. It was like a this, I don't know if you call them noise band, I guess. I don't know, some sort of, yeah, I mean, it was pretty damn noisy.
1: I love the name, though. Yeah, and that was with
2: Harold Richardson, who plays, he plays guitar for Negative Approach, and pretty much every other band that John Brandon has going right now. <laughs> and I think they're all pretty much the same band, aren't they? They just give different names.
1: That seems to be the Detroit way. Yeah, <laughs> uh, is there's so many different uh, bands that everybody is in, constantly switching members, constantly. Oh uh, yeah, jazz yeah, Labels.
2: <laughs> but yeah, that was you know. So we met. We were it was cool. We were hanging out and stuff, and then uh, and then we just like Kill Devil Hill broke up and. And John Olsen had suggested that he and I do a two-piece, and I remember being like, oh, no, that's a that's a horrible idea. I'm not going to do that. And then, like, three <laughs> months later, Eric and I are doing a two-piece. I'm like, oh. <laughs> but, um, I don't know, we just started playing together. Originally, we were just going to, you know, we are going to write some songs, get a bass player, maybe another guitar player, but everything just kind of worked really well, because we were really writing the songs to be just the two of us, anyway. So,
0: sure,
2: we just yeah. kind of stuck with that, you know. It's like, so it's, you know, and it's it's so much easier only having two guys. You don't have that dude in the band. It's like, oh, I got to work at Seven Eleven that night. I can't. <laughs> you, know, like.
1: you have to write a song for some uh, person who has no songwriting or whatever experience just right. because they want to sing something. Yeah. So the band Guitar Wolf has been cited as a primary influence uh, behind the band's sound. Oh yeah. What was it about them that that inspired you?
2: No, just that first LP, Wolfrock, like, I bought it, and it was on Goner, and I kind of knew Eric at the time anyway, and, you know, Eric from Goner, Eric, believe me, anyway, mm-hmm. but I was like... It, it just, it didn't matter. I, like, you look at that record, I just, I'm like, yeah, I'm buying this f- record. Like, you know, it just looks cool. It looks great. So yeah. I bought it and got home and, like, called Eric. I'm like, you gotta hear this, dude. This is insane. Like, and they, you know, because they were, they just didn't give a shit But they're awesome. You know, they were super yeah, noisy, yeah, right. super loud, super insane. And so that's when we first started recording demos. We started trying to ape that sound. Basically what we'd do is we would record everything on a four track, and then we would run it out of the four track into like a practice amp with a distortion turned up and then re-record it onto the four track. So that way everything huh. was like, you know, like, coming <laughs> at you super distorted and stuff. And then we, we did some of that with the first record, because with the deal me in because that was like, you know, we were like, hey, Jim, this is how we did it,
0: and <laughs> <laughs> stuff like this.
2: I mean, we'd, I'd, I'd worked with Jim a couple times before, although in um, stuff, and, and he and I had become friends at that point. Like, let's see. Yeah, because it was after he moved back from Austin. Before he moved to Austin— Back when I was yeah. I was living in East Lansing, so was he, and he was doing the way outs and shit and-
0: Right, 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 yeah. right.
2: And we always refer to those guys like as the oh those rockabilly guys, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, but I'd always go see the way outs because I always got late every time I go to see them. So, you know, so it was it was all right. But but you know, they were kind of more, you know, at the time. I mean, I I like them, you know, appreciate them a lot now. But they were kind of more, you know, more than garagey. They were more poppy. You know, they're doing like covering like yeah. like Romeo and. Juliet. Juliet and stuff like that, you know, it's sure, typical sure. Diamond anyways. Oh, hey, let's play Romeo and Juliet. Oh, that's why yeah. if you want to impersonate <laughs> Jim Diamond, you just talk like Top Cat, by the way, so, the I'm Jim Diamond.
1: <laughs> oh, that's <I> up. <laughs> Well, he's got that pop streak in him, you know. I think, but oh, you know, yeah, he's, he's friends he's... with Dennis DeYoung. He's good. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So those first few Bantam singles, the seven inches, were released on Crypt, and then it looks like you had one on Flying Bomb, sort of all around that 96, yeah. 97 era. Was it cool getting signed? Like, cause Crypt is relatively, you know, it's a pretty small label, and Flying Bomb a little bit bigger. But what what was it like getting that contract? Getting that being be, having it put out under a record label? For the was first like time. The, yeah. That was like
2: that? That's still probably the most excited I've ever been, like, you know, like... Because I we just always sent out demos. We recorded that stuff. This and uh, we always sent out demos and stuff. And I had heard back from like, and I was I was encouraged because I gotten back like handwritten letters from like Larry in the Red and a couple right. of other these people and stuff. So I'm like, okay, that's good. I'm getting letters at least. Like they wrote. I'm like, the, sure enough. Then one day I come home from work and there's this phone call. It's like, hey, Dad, it's Tim Warren calling. I was just wondering maybe you want to do a record with me or something. Maybe just, man. Uh, and I'm just like, yeah, you
1: know. Yeah. yeah that's. I mean, because they had put out the gories. They had a lot of yeah. stuff oh, under yeah. their roster at that point. Yeah, I have to talk about Flying Bomb's Christmas surprise package that you guys were a part of. Yeah, uh, yeah. Because there's a song called Let's Just F*** For Christmas. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> which is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I just, I had to bring that up because there's no other opportunity I can bring this up in, in um... <laughs>
2: So how was that? Oh, <laughs> uh, that was fun. I mean, you know, it was basically, we just did it at Diamond Studio. I mean, I'm on the Dirt Bombs track for the one that we did, too, I think, Year Last Christmas. Oh, nice i trying to think. I think there's one other one that I'm on just since I could guess. But, yeah, I was like, a, I don't know. They wanted a Christmas song, and I was like, oh, let's, you know, let's keep it simple. I mean, what do I really want for I just want to
1: f*** for Christmas, so
2: let's just do that, you know?
1: <laughs> it's pretty punk rock sentiment. Yeah, cool. you
2: know, and there's a, there's a lot of Christmas double entendre you can work in there and everything, so.
1: Right, candy canes, ho, 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 we got it. <laughs>
0: Yeah.
2: The song itself is only, like, two notes. It's only two chords, anyways. I I probably wrote it in, like, two few minutes after. I think we, we came up with the idea. We played it through like once or twice, and then recorded it. And then Jim added the little keyboard, like nah, 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 and we we're like, oh, that sounds great, <laughs> cool. All right. I <laughs> always find that like the less thought and faster you put something out, like or put something together, the better it is. I don't know. People like yep, it. yeah, yeah. it said
1: first thought, best thought, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah the best songs are written in an hour. Yep, yep. <laughs> written, recorded <laughs> in an hour. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> So the Crypt Crew, it looks like there's a lot. Of, I mean, there's a lot of familiar faces in there. Not only is is Mick in there with the Gorries, but there was also the Headcoats, which was one of the groups that Bruce Brand was involved with. Did you find a lot of camaraderie amongst the other groups who were on similar labels? Was there a oh, lot of yeah.
0: communication or absolutely? Or you know,
1: Flying Bomb, everybody that we're on,
2: the, everybody else that did stuff on the label, we were all friends with by that point, anyways. Like you know, even like the bands because we. Played a little out a little bit, so even the bands from like Buffalo and stuff, we were friends with them. But then like yeah. the Crip bit, with the Crip stuff, it was great because with the Crip stuff, you kind of it kind kind of came with like a little built in audience. Anyway, there are people that were just going to come out to see you, you know, just because right. you were on Crip. Right. You know, they might not buy the record just because you're on Crypt, but they're going to come out and see you. You kind of had a, some built-in crowds there, which is nice. But also, though, it was like any of the bands that were on Crypt or not currently on Crypt even, but they were always really, you know, super cool and it's like a little brotherhood. There's not a lot of girls in the crypt world, except for like, kind of, well, at least that time. It's like Susie from DMBA and the Deficits, who we toured Europe with, and I think mm-hmm. that was about. I think it was about it. So it's like a brotherhood, man. You know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like hardcore. It's a big sausage party. So. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, that's why you got to go to Jim's uh, shows to uh, to be able to,
0: you know, yeah. meet some ladies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I also love that they were based out of France, but their point of contact was Morristown, New Jersey. And I just would love to see the looks on the faces of the Parisians who had to deal with a couple of mooks from New Jersey. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for your reference, that's around where we're from, or as we call it in New Jersey, Charlotte.
2: doing the two piece. I mean, before us, of course, there was definitely there was like the bass holes and they used to ask about flat duo jets too, which and stuff. That was yeah. like actually one of the first like right after we got signed to crypt, flat duo jets opened for the new bomb Turks in Detroit. So we're like, well we better go see these guys and make sure that we can sound good like in a big room, <laughs> because it was airplane in a big room and uh and they were great. So it was awesome. But uh and then we I'd seen Bassholes a few times too, to Don Howland oh, yeah. from the Gibson Brothers, and there there actually was like I didn't I'd never heard them before that, but there was another one around that time called Voodoo that was like a husband and wife team, and they used to come out and see us like I think it was somewhere in Portland I think I'm not sure, but they'd always come out and see us, make sure that we knew who they were.
0: <laughs>
2: you said Voodoo? Voodoo, yeah.
1: We're a husband and wife team. That's uh, that's interesting. That's a good yeah. name. Uh, you know,
2: we'd show up to play. Like you know, we'd be on tour, so we'd show up. You know, someplace we hadn't played before, and start sound checking. And the sound guy would be like, "All right, well, we just got to get your bass player." We're like, "No, no, no. We don't have a bass player." Yeah, okay. Well, you we better get here because we're gonna have to get You know,
1: like, all right, dude. But you know, completely ignoring you. Were there any special challenges to dealing with a two-piece band that you had to deal with aside from insisting that you don't have a bass player when <laughs> when some, <laughs> some shop roadie says that you definitely do have one? Yeah.
2: I mean, basically yeah, the only problem is, yeah, the only problem is just that you can't freaking take a breath and you better have a spare guitar cuz if you break a string then you can't like just sit there and have the rest of the band wing through something like, you know, or something cuz it is just the drummer. You know, so, yeah, but yeah, basically, it was just you know being able to take a breath, but back then I was young and you know, didn't really care about that kind of stuff anyway. <laughs> it was like we, yeah. we came back from our first tour, and we somebody played us a you know, a recording of one of our shows, one of our more recent shows at that time, and it seriously it sounded like we were playing on 45. And I'm
1: just like, how did that Basically, just one big blur. Yeah, yeah. Um, you mentioned touring Europe. I mean, that seems there was a, an appetite for that sound in Europe, particularly in the 90s and early 2000s, mm-hmm. which I know that the the Dirt Bombs were also really capitalized on because that was one of their chief touring spots. In fact, where the White Stripes would wind up touring the most in those. In those sort of early days, yeah. but around the turn of the millennium, sort of the late '90s, you were in both of those bands, in, in Bantam Rooster and the Dirt Bombs. I know it's not uncommon for people in Detroit to be in multiple bands. Oh yeah, but, yeah. But uh, I mean, do you want to talk? For, I guess first of all, a little bit about how you wound up joining the Dirt Bombs. Although it seems like the Dirt Bombs were kind of just this weird musical collective that everyone was sort of an unofficial
0: part of at one point
1: yeah.
2: or another. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, the Dirt Bombs were kind of like. Um, because I used to go see him all the time. This is even before Jim was in the band or whatever. I mean, he joined just a little bit before I did, but before that, he you know the band that was on the Horn Fest records. Those they played yeah. quite a bit, so I'd go see them all the time. And they had uh, a friend of mine, E Wolf. He does. He, yeah. well, he did all the Band of Rooster photos, and he's uh, done every Touch and Go band photos I think and stuff. But uh, but yeah, E Wolf was playing drums with them then and stuff. So. I'd always go hang out and see them and everything. They were freaking great. I don't remember what the mix was, you know, what happened, but suddenly there was hardly anybody left in the band, and then Diamond joined the band, and then Ben Blackwell suggested to Mick that I should join. You know, and I'm like, I'm like, all right, you know, and I'm like, cool, I'll, you know, and I was, at that time, I mean, Banner, Banner Rooster was doing good, you know, we were on, so we were on tour a lot anyways, but I was like, oh, I could do the Dirt Bombs, because the Dirt Bombs don't really like tour or anything, you know, it's like, it's cool, kind of a, you know, it'll be a little more high-profile product, but I won't really have to tour or anything, and then we recorded Ultra Gride and Black, and everybody loved that yeah. damn record, and so suddenly then I'm like, between Banner Rooster and Dirt Bombs, I was on tour like eight months out of the year for like a couple years and stuff, so. I
1: have a Quick Question about Ultra Glide in Black. I, I know you played a lot of guitar and specifically f- you're credited as Fuzz Guitar and a lot of that. Who's playing that sleazy little lick on Gotta Give It Up? Oh. Do you remember? No, I don't. <laughs> Whoever is playing,
2: whether it's you or Mick, whoever it is. If it's got fuzz on it, then it's me. Because I, okay. I, I played baritone guitar in that, but it was all through the fuzz pedal, so.
1: It does have fuzz. And if if that is the case, bless you, sir. That is a fantastic, beautiful cover of that song. And what you added to that with that little sleazy kind of lick is really awesome. I, <laughs> I, I really love that track. I love that record, too.
2: Well, I'll, I'll listen to it and see. And if I think I played it, I'll let you know. But.
0: <laughs> all right.
2: But, you know, if you think think it's awesome, then yeah, it was definitely me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And you brought up Ben Blackwell for the Dirt Bombs. Now, I have a question real quick. You guys did an interview for a podcast. Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head which it was, but uh, you guys were, it seemed, ragging on Ben Blackwell quite a bit. What was the dynamic like with him in the group? He seemed kind of timid compared to the rest of (laughs) y'all.
2: Well, I mean, he was a, he was a child,
1: you know. He was
2: a, he was a youth, you know. I mean, he, he was like, you know. I mean, I think when he first joined the band, I think it might have been seventeen or so. And he'd always been the kid, anyways. Like he was Jack White's nephew, and he didn't yeah. and he always behaved himself. So, so a lot of you know, like the gold dollar would usually let him in. You know, he'd have to sit behind the merch booth or something, but they'd usually let him in. So we're just like, oh, the kid's here, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> and uh, and so he was just always the kid. I taught him how to shave for Christ's sake. So <laughs> we, went, we went to we get an electric razor. The first time we we went to the UK. <laughs> he couldn't plug his razor in he couldn't plug his electric razor in so I'm like okay Ben well this is how the grown-ups do it like you know
1: like Like that scene in A Hard Day's Night you just art has imitated life that is amazing (laughs) Yeah. yeah It was either you or Pat Pantano. I can't remember exactly who said it, but you guys were reading an article about the white stripes and one of you said like, Yeah, I ran out of gas trying to buy this magazine. I was like, oh, right, <laughs> right in front, in front of, of right, right in front, in front of,
0: of Ben. Of ben. <laughs> no. <laughs> He's so impressionable.
2: We had dirt bombs when we'll we go on tour, to um, for the longest time, US and Europe and stuff, we'd have our merch table sign and it would be, you know, LPs this much, T-shirts this much, questions about the white stripes, $5. You know, (laughs) it's just like, all right.
1: Do you take PayPal or Venmo? (laughs) 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 was there some competition between Bantam Rooster and Dirt Bombs? I mean, juggling both of them must have been a challenge. Was there any competition or rather pressure? You mentioned pressure earlier. Was there pressure in the sort of competitive field of all the different groups?
2: I don't know. I mean, I I don't really think uh-huh. so, but I'm not really a competitive person, but I don't have to be because I'm the best. So, um, <laughs> But um, I've never been a competitive person and to me, it's kind of like, I don't know, I started playing music to, so I can get away from that kind of stuff, you know, like playing sports and stuff. So I never worked about it i mean there, occasionally i'll get other people that want to be competitive with me or with banner rooster with the, you know one of the bands i've been in and i'm just like okay but i'm a really really
1: poor winner so <laughs> that in mind. well james i guess my first reaction here is it was really cool to hear the origins of the kind of stuff that inspired Tom. Mm. Some interesting bands and things that uh, that I wound up looking up. And I wound up getting really into listening to uh, Guitar Wolf, which I had never heard before this, but which was a fascinating listen, which is a uh, Teddy Boy style Japanese speed rock versions of like punk tunes and stuff in a really cool way yeah I'd never really listened to them much before and uh, they're pretty cool nice little Japanese punk band that uh, plays some pretty cool tunes it was interesting hearing the stories about Ben Blackwell as a child I believe uh Tom referred to him as a child which (laughs) yeah (laughs) which is funny because he was at the time I also liked hearing about the layout and stuff how he fell into doing the design and layout and stuff Mm -hmm. yes he went to art school, which is me and Paul can relate. So it Yeah, was, uh... not the first one we heard that was an art school graduate. We've interviewed a few of those. Yeah, and they've fallen yeah. into into the music and did a little bit of artwork here and there. And uh, yeah, it seemed more like he wanted to do the music more so though, yeah. than the, the actual visuals. And uh, this is the first art school graduate we've ever heard take a giant steaming dump all over sticks.
0: <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs>
1: <laughs> no love lost between Tom Potter and Sticks. That's fine. I think they're touring with Joan Jet now and the Blackhearts. They're they're doing whatever. They are doing whatever. You know, they're hanging in there. They're sailing. They're <laughs> sailing away. Uh, I also loved hearing the, the stories about the other Detroit duos, like Voodoo, which I, I listened to a little bit of, and they're great. Voodoo reminded me a lot of the uh, Fiery Furnaces, actually, which are another art rock duo, and um, it looked like Voodoo kind of boiled some things down to their simple elements, much in the same way that White Stripes did. So all that was very interesting to hear about and, and getting to know Minor Thread, another influence from him. So, yeah, you know what it made me do, too, is give another listen to um, Deal Me In, which is a fantastic record by Bantam Rooster. If you haven't listened to Deal Me In, absolutely check that out. It's a really awesome experience and uh, a really cool album, a really cool set of songs, a lot of high-energy stuff. For those of you out there unfamiliar with Tom's body of work, check out Bantam Rooster and check out Deal Me In and some of those records. They're really fantastic. Yeah. Let's say we get back to the interview, Paul. Let's say we get back to it. All right. Let's say it. Well, say it right now. I'm saying it. Let's get back to the interview. (laughs) Well, uh, to get to your point of uh, $5 per white stripes question. um... (laughs) Yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah. Did your guys' paths cross often, you and Jack? Yeah, yeah, cool. absolutely.
2: You know, Detroit at that time, I mean, before, like, the White Stripes blew up and stuff and everybody realized that there was all this going on, it was kind of like the same hundred people or so coming out to all the shows and playing in all the bands and everything. So, yeah, we'd always hang out. We used to go down to the Magic Stick and, other the Magic Stick, the bowling alley down there. And uh, Sunday Night's co, who replaced me in the Dirt Bomb, she bartended. We'd go down there and drink. mm and it'd be, like, Jack and Dave Buick and, uh, you know, a bunch of other people and, and stuff. You know, it's always... But, yeah, it was kind of, like, more, like, generally. Because, of course, i you know, I was also married at the time. Still I am.
1: Congratulations. Yeah, thanks. Okay.
2: But, yeah, so, it, you know, so most of my friends were you know, they were bar friends, so, you know, but it was really like, you know, because, you know, I'm always like, oh, I only drink in social situations, but every social situation I'm in involves drinking, so, uh, <laughs> so, yeah, so, you know, so it'd always be, you know, it'd usually be at the bar or at a show or whatever and stuff, and, you know, we we played with the White Stripes quite a bit, you know, back then, too, and everything. My It was funny because my wife was we were just talking about, you know, the white stripes because of course this interview coming up and she just got a, this <laughs> is one day or this is like a couple of weeks ago, I go out to the mailbox and there's like a record box out there. I'm like, Oh, shit, I don't remember ordering anything. Hell. And I look down and it's got her name on it. And it was for the third man and I'm like I come in, and I'm like, What the hell? I'm the only one that's allowed to get records in this house. <laughs> and it was that live the third man sent her that live box set, um oh, cool. from Detroit. with the three records, because one, yeah. Yeah, one of them was recorded at the gold dollar and she used she and yeah. my wife Katie used to be the door girl at the gold dollar. So
0: oh, oh wow. That's awesome. Yeah.
2: So it was like so I'm like I'm like, Oh
0: well okay. I guess you're cool now. <laughs> I can't wait till you try to come back, girl Things that don't work out for you Who do you think you're messing with, girl? What do you think you're trying to It's a really
1: cool set, actually. That that's Yeah. yeah. It has a really good uh, show with The Go on it, too. Big fan of The Go. So did you bowl while, <laughs> while you were down there with your bar friends? Um, there was
2: like a bowling league kind of thing with all of us, but I, I seem to remember. I don't even know if I was actually ever actually on a team. Because you could always count on sh- going down there and some, you know, there's like at least five people that didn't show up. So he'd be like, hey, can you bowl with us? You know, so I don't think, I, you know, and I I don't think Jack is actually on a team either. But I think he did do the, I think he did the softball mm-hmm. There was also a regular Sunday softball thing, which I, I think I went to once,
1: but I just got drunk, so was, you know.
2: <laughs> I was like, dude, I can get drunk and be indoors. Why am I doing
1: this? Like, Jesus. You're the equivalent of me at a bowling alley, which is I'm just here for the beer, and yeah, uh, yeah. when my name comes up, I will roll the ball and then, <laughs> then go, back
0: go back to, to my beer.
2: Yeah, it was like we would see, I, you know, Jack and I... Cross paths all the time. Actually, I, I probably hung out with Meg more so than Jack, just because she's a little better drinker than he is.
1: So that <laughs> <laughs> well, doesn't surprise me. Wasn't she a bartender at some point? Yeah, like she used to, she bartended. I think at the upstairs, the Magic Dick, which
2: is upstairs from the Garden Bowl, and yeah. then she also bartended out at this place out in Royal Oak called Memphis Smoke, which is like mm. a kind of okay barbecue place and stuff. But she bartended out there with. uh Corey Barton, who was the he was the drummer for Wild Bunch at the time, but they became Electric mm-hmm. Six. All right, going to tell you
0: about tonight's show. Tonight, what you see up there is what you get. It's just six guys playing their instruments. No multimedia, no revolving drum sets, no pyrotechnics, no pulse bullsh-. <laughs>
2: button so, right. so and we go out there on monday nights because they just give us booze for free <laughs> 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 We're just like yeah all right well, let's go you know like, oh, okay cool
1: what kind of a drunk was meg was she a loud drunk was she an angry drunk was she no. a happy drunk no meg's a you know
2: she's a pretty shy person she's pretty reclusive even you know even in public or at least back then i haven't seen her in a long time but she loves you know well, you, you know, you get her talking, she loves to talk, you know, and stuff, and, and she's a good conversationalist and everything. But, but yeah, I, a, I don't remember seeing her necessarily too aggressive. There was one time the Dirt <laughs> there one time with Dirt Bombs, we were on tour, we were in England, somewhere in London, I think. And, <laughs> and uh, suddenly, like, I'm sitting there in the dressing room, like, we're just shooting the shit, and suddenly, like, this freaking, like, giant foam fist just nails me in the back of my head and I turn around and it's Meg and she's, she was, <laughs> I, we didn't even know she was in town, but she's got one of those incredible <laughs> Hulk fists that made like, that made like the incredible Hulk noise and she yeah. just, and then she, I turn around and she just nailed me in the face with it and I'm like, ah, oh, you know. So, yeah, I guess, I guess she could get a little aggressive, you know.
0: Like, <laughs>
2: yeah, you know, that was fun and that was a really fun part too about, after, because you know, it's Banner Rooster. We did Europe, had done Europe a bunch, anyways, and already toured the U.S. and everything. And, and there were some of the other Detroit bands that were touring. But you know, after the White Stripes blew up and then Detroit kind of got that reputation, then it was kind of right. great because you know you could be somewhere like London or something and run into like, hey, I didn't know you were here. You know, it's like, All right, and right. It's like, oh, the Soul dad Brothers are playing across town. Sweet, you know, it's like, and that was always fun. So, you know, be able to hook up with people that you do like somewhere
0: else <laughs> yeah
1: we talked a little bit about like in the early to mid 90s how it was a little bit of a boys club and stuff and obviously by this sort of tail end you've got people like meg you've got people like Co. did you ever hear or detect any struggle on their part to sort of carve their own path in the scene at that time or did you find the scene to be kind of accepting of you know,
2: oh no, absolutely, at you know, at that time, like at that time, I remember like bands coming into town, they'd be like. We are like, oh, man, your girls are hot. Oh, and they know about <laughs> music, too, you know? <laughs> and they're intelligent. And it was just like, yeah. And we're like, yeah, and they're in some good bands. And, you know, they do some great stuff. So, right, you know, right. it's like, but, but yeah, it was it was not, it was was pretty great because you did have, we'd had a lot of females involved, but it wasn't necessarily like, you know, they didn't have girl bands or anything, you know? Right, it was usually right, a band right. that a girl was running, though, you know, it was like it'd be a band with a bunch of dudes and a girl was running that right. kind of thing, like Co with Co of the Knockouts and stuff like that. right.
1: right. I guess part of why I ask is because the White Stripes could have appeared as though they were more of a novelty to people who knew Jack and Meg personally. At least that's the impression we get, particularly because Meg was so inexperienced. What were your first impressions of the Stripes when you saw them? Did you look at that and go, what the hell's Jack doing up there with Meg? Or did you look at that and go, oh, that's kind of interesting. Did it look, was it like an art piece or was it just a curiosity? What, what were your impressions? Oh,
0: well,
2: you know, like when they first started playing, it was... <laughs> It was pretty great. There was, I mean, it, another thing my wife and I were talking about, she, re, she remembers better than I do because she wasn't drunk constantly. But, um... <laughs> But she remembers, uh, you know, she remembers like a lot of people really didn't like the White Stripes, and I do. I remember too, like a lot of people being like, "Oh man, it's like Robert Plant fronting the Gorys. and I'm like, "Well, what's wrong with that?" You know, or <laughs> like, whatever. Shit. And uh, but you know, a lot of times it'd be like just a couple of us up watching them when they are playing. usually the Demolition Doll Rods were like super early White Stripes supporters, and they'd always come out and see them and be right up front, so that was cool.
1: I don't know.
0: That's a you're a liar. Go, let her go, God bless her. Wherever she may be. We want
2: And hopefully yeah. pretty encouraging probably and um uh, everything. But yeah, yeah, it was uh it was kinda interesting. And then it started bringing people over to their side and stuff. I think Jack got rid of that ridiculous haircut finally. And yeah. uh, <laughs> That was kind of an unfortunate look, even for the time. You about the
1: high crop with like the red dye or yeah, whatever. Yeah, but it was, yeah. you know,
2: but it was fine, you know. But, but uh, yeah, I mean, when you come down to it, they had good songs, you know, and that's that's right. what that's what's going to keep them from being a novelty act or something like that is that they actually had really good songs, well written, intelligent songs. And so then people started to pick up on that, and then. You know, I remember that first album, I was in, I think I was, I was on tour, I think I was in Seattle. The first time I laid eyes on that album was like in a record store, and I look up and I'm like, that record's going to sell like a shit ton, yeah. because it just looked cool. Like it just, there's those yeah. records that just look like, you, like a guitar, world. there's records that you just have to buy. Like you look at it, you're like, I have to buy that, you know, and,
0: right.
2: and that was it's Co took the pictures on that, and then Andy and Patty from Flying Bomb, I think, did the
1: layout. I'm pretty maybe, maybe you can answer this. On the credits, they list Co as Co Molina Is is that what's what's her name? Like, I I don't I don't really know like her full backstory, but she I see her credited under different names a lot. Do you know? You have any insight to that? I don't know. I think she just likes it.
2: You <laughs> know, I don't know. Um, okay, I don't. I'm not sure what. I, I always thought her real last name was She because that's the one that she always used them as S H I H. But uh, uh, huh. you know, there's Co molina and stuff. I always used to call her Cosifus, but uh, okay. was, uh, which, okay. she, which she did like, but she never took to using it as a pseudonym or anything. So <laughs>
1: <laughs> we often question things like that. And uh, E Wolf, we are constantly going over who is that? Why? Yeah. Why that name? Who are you? (laughs) Yeah, Evil, yeah.
2: Evil, I can tell you, is, uh, you know, his real name is I don't know if I'm supposed to tell you that. (sighs)
1: Okay, okay, but
2: (laughs) we had our suspicions. Yeah, Evil's had an early, uh, one of those early versions of the CD recorder. You know, right. it would be like back in you know ninety nine or so. You know, had the CD recorders. You could record on your CD. Amazing, <laughs> and shit, you know. And so he would just go and he would make copies of like you know like a Throbbing Grissle record and some other you know really raunchy. You know, regular, and just a whole bunch of like super loud industrial metal, all this stuff. And he'd make like five or six CDs, and then he'd go into like a Best Buy and and load up the CD players with
1: those CDs and just blast <laughs> out time and walk oh, out. Like. Oh, that is fantastic! Now I have a picture in my head of him as one of those guys who goes, uh, "You like hip hop on the street corners of New York City," <laughs> and then they sh- thrust a, a burned CDR into your hand. Um, <laughs> But, uh, well, to get back into some of your bands, uh, some Bantam Rooster releases, as well as some compilations you appear on, uh, were distributed by uh, Sympathy for the Record Industry. How'd you get involved with them and Long Gone?
2: Originally, our, our album, Fuck All Y'all, originally it was supposed to be, uh, I think it was like a six or eight song EP, and it was supposed to come out on an Australian label, A Go-Go, which... I was super excited about because like the scientists were on a go-go and all the super great stuff I'm a big Australian yeah. fan in general but then unfortunately a go-go folded just before that and I, I had talked a long ago and John a couple times maybe, maybe via email or something so I was just like hey a go-go folded, what do you think about putting this out and he's like ah I'd rather do an album you want to record some more songs I'm like yeah okay so <laughs> so so we did some more songs and that was what became F- all y'all came to Detroit a few times, we'd hang out, and one time we went and hung out with Mark Dancy, who did a lot of the art, the, some artwork, but he was was wasn't Big Chief back in the day, yeah. but he did a lot of artwork and a lot of stuff that, that John collected and everything, but yeah, John is John's quite a little character.
1: He sounds yeah. it. We did interact with him very briefly, but it was more of a one-sided interaction on our part, when the, uh, Jim... <laughs> When the Jim Diamond interview went up, Jim was talking about it on his Facebook page, and Longon commented, and uh, I may have gotten a little excited. I was like, hey, Longon, we'd love to talk to you, (laughs) and uh, he went back into his gopher hole, and we haven't seen him since, but if Uh, you do speak to Longon... Tell yeah, him we're like, dying to ask him some
0: questions.
2: <laughs> oh, see, we'll mention it. We'll mention that mine. Long gone will probably be like Tom owes me a Bantam Rooster album because I think <laughs> he gave us some money and I we didn't him the record. <laughs> it's like an, the label folded, so before we get it to him or something. So, but yeah, yeah, yeah. it's
1: like yeah, sometimes I feel like to Long Gone we are the Mueller probe into his Trump administration and we are trying I, to yeah. pull, pull some weird. weird information yeah. out from him. We just want to talk to the man.
2: I remember, like, uh, actually hanging out at the Garden Bowl, and it was like uh, Jack asked me. It was when they were first talking to Sympathy, and I don't know right, what else right, they had right. going on at the time. But he was asked. He's like, "So, what do you think about Sympathy?" And I'm like, "And I hadn't done anything with them at that point, but you know, I knew John. I knew enough people that had worked with them. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, it's a good label. You're going to get great distribution and plenty of promo and press, but you're not going to make. You're not going to get any royalties, you know. Mm-hmm. So if that, you know, but but you know, at this point though, that you know, at that level, usually, you know, you're lucky if you get any royalties anyways. So, but I'm like, so All the right. best thing is, though, is that you don't get any royalties, but then anytime time you call John and be like, hey, we need 50 records, he's just going to send them to you and not charge you for them. So, yeah,
0: <laughs> that's great, yeah.
2: So I remember, I think okay. I, I kind of sold Jack on sympathy for that, because I was like, yeah, you're not going to make any money anyways, you might as well get some free records so you can sell them. <laughs>
1: I've read, and I think it was in that unauthorized biography, so take it for what it is, but I read that him maintaining the ownership of his catalog was one of the important factors that went into that, which I guess he might not have gotten with a label like Sub Pop. Do you know if that was part of that decision or maybe one of the appeals of sympathy?
2: Yeah, probably. I mean, well, the thing is is that there probably wasn't a contract of any sort. (laughs)
0: It's more of a spit shake. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: exactly. So, you know, legally, it's going to be Jack's property because he's the one that wrote and recorded it and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, Long Gone John just opted to put it out. You know, so we don't have a contract. I mean, like, like we had a contract, Adam Rooster, we had a contract with Crypt. So it was like, we had to clear everything with him. I mean, I guess I never had any problems. We just send him the album and be like, you know, Hey, here's the record. It's done. You know, send the record and the artwork and he'd be like, okay, great. You know, so we never had any, try to, you know, interfere in any way or change anything about it. But so, and probably Jack never got that from long gone, John either, I would guess, but right. You know, as you get bigger, it's just a smart move. You know, as you start to get bigger, to maintain your rights, you start dealing with the bigger labels, and they want to own everything they can, and they want to tell you how to do it. And if you know anything about Jack, it's that Jack's going to do it Jack's way.
1: Right. (laughs) (laughs) That was like a pretty big priority for him even, and he waited until he had that leverage, which is something that not everyone actually winds up getting. So it's, it's interesting that... He stuck to his guns, and it actually paid off. Because I feel like that's a lightning in a bottle kind of situation, you know.
2: Yeah, I think too. Well, I, I, I definitely do. I also, though. I mean, these labels are looking at him and they're going, "You got popular play in this? Well, we can't, <laughs> we can't fix this. We can't. You know, what are we supposed to do with this? Like, you know, I guess I guess we'll just let you do what you want because we don't understand this shit, but people like it,
1: so you was... <laughs> know. So with Sympathy, we're going to pivot to the Sympathetic Sounds of Detroit, which uh, you were involved in a number of those tracks. You want to tell us a little bit about what those sessions were like and how that went? Yeah, that was
2: that was fun. I remember Ben telling me, like, oh, yeah, Jack's going to do this Sympathetic Sounds of thing for Detroit, blah, blah, blah. He's going to start asking bands. And I'm like, "Like, well, he knows he better fucking ask me, right? <laughs> like, like, the <laughs> next, like the next day, Jack calls up. He's like, hey, you want to come be on this record? I'm like, yeah, of course. But no, it was fun. It was a good time. I mean, basically, Jack was just all set up in his house, up in the second floor, I think, of the house. Maybe it was the attic. No, I think it was the second floor. But, uh, but yeah, he was just all kind of set up, like a couple different rooms and everything. And you know, and he had a good sense of how the how everything sounded. It's like it's the same with Jim Diamond. Like you know, he knew how that room sounded. And so, like basically, you go and he'd be like, "Put your drums over there. (laughs) Mic them up. Put your bass cabinet over there." And it was the same thing with Jack. Jack knew. where everything should go to get the best sound for what you were doing and everything. and But yeah, it was a lot of fun because I can't remember. I think that one of them we were just showed up to do it, like, right after the Cobras had, you know, been there, and so it's kind of fun, like, hey, you're on this record, too, cool, you know, but it was a lot of fun, I remember that, I remember uh, the Banner Rooster song, I think I wrote that song, like, maybe the day before, and I hadn't shown it, oh, <laughs> at that point, Mike Alonzo was playing drums with me, and so we went in, and before we started recording, I'm like, oh, hey, Mike, I'll show you that song, <laughs> so Mike and I started playing <laughs> that song, and then, like, the second time we went through it, Jack recorded it, and then we're like, okay, cool, we're done, <laughs> And Jack was like, did you really just show him that song? I'm like, yeah, he's that good, man. He's that good a drummer, you know? I was like, <laughs> but yeah, Jack was pretty amazed that Mike could, like, learn it that fast. and But it's all, you know, play it that well. But Mike was a pretty badass drummer. Doing. and then it even is you know he even did like some kind of production stuff because i remember uh, the solo on that song he's like oh you can't play the same guitar because it's gonna lock in with that same thing so he had me play this solo, the solo over double solo with one of his guitars i can't remember mm. and the people have asked me too like was it the national was it this i'm like you know what? <laughs> I, it was a red one i don't know <laughs> it was
0: red <laughs>
1: It followed his color scheme. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. But yeah, it was cool, you know. it's like, but, but yeah, it was a lot of fun because it was kind of DIY, but at the same time, we're like, oh, yeah,
1: well, people are going to buy this. Like, you
2: know, this is going to be kind of something. So that was cool.
1: Well, he chose the right bands to put on it because they're all... Bands that anybody who follows the Detroit I hate to say scene, but you know, anybody who follows the Detroit scene, uh I'll just say <laughs> it. Um, will knows of the dirt bombs, knows of the henchmen, knows of Bantam Rooster, knows of Whirlwind Heat, Soledad Dead Brother. Like it's it's all fairly common household names to people who know those things. Yeah. People who have them in their household, I guess. But. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, it was literally in a household. It was in Jack's household. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. It was Jack's house. <laughs> he still owns that house, but yeah, that's the one that was his childhood home. I think he bought from yeah, his, yeah. his parents. Yeah, and had it decked out in red and white and stuff. It was that. Was it decked out when you got in there with a lot of taxidermy and? Shit? No, Candy, no,
2: that Candy? was. I think that was. I mean, I think there there were there was a few. Back then, when we recorded, I, I mean, he might have had a few of the taxidermy things, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I would say it, back then, uh, you know, he might have had a squirrel or something. It was kind of more like a early '90s, shabby chic '70s Did kind you. of thing, or something. I don't know. It was it was cool. It was a cool house. I mean, you go in and he's got stuff like oh, you know. Was the organ speaker that oscillates. He had one of those, but it was painted with candy stripes and stuff like oh, that. Oh,
1: oh, are you talking about the, it's the the, the triple,
2: the tremolo? tremolo Triple yeah. tremolo? Oh, maybe, yeah. But it was a cool, you know, it was a cool house. It was very Jack. But yeah, as far as taxidermy goes, I don't know if there was a lot. I mean, I, I, when I, I remember when he really was getting into that, and I was like, oh, it's interesting or whatever. Yeah. <laughs>
1: well let's just to pivot on that for a moment we love him very dearly he seems like an eccentric dude like mick always tells a story of jack like taking this obscenely long route across town to get to his place because it was like the hard way to go like did you have any stories like that where you were just like there's something weird about this guy (laughs) um not really i mean i you
2: know he was doing or they were doing something that it didn't sound like anything else, too, which okay. I always like. But, um, it's more, I mean, he was just Jack, you know, he's just, uh, you know, and he's just doing what he does. I mean, I remember, like, being seeing the White Stripes at the Magic Bag, and this is after uh, the second album had come out or whatever, and mm-hmm. seeing them at the Magic Bag, which is out in the Detroit suburbs, out in Ferndale. <laughs> Is a, a nice venue, but you don't want to like drink too much because you're going to get pulled over. You know, there's a rule in Detroit like you don't go north of eight mile, because uh, right. then you get into the sub yeah, you get into the suburbs and like Ugh, it's gruesome. Um, and you're going to get pulled over. As long as you're in Detroit City Limits, you are, like, freaking, you can do whatever you want. You, know? <laughs> <laughs> like you can drive down the street doing 55, doing some blow and smoking a joint and drinking a beer, and they're probably not going to get pulled over. you got to, like, kill somebody or do donuts on the mayor's lawn or something to get keep pulled over there. So, But, yeah, they, we were playing at Ferndale, and it was just, like, probably about the bazillion times. You know, it was probably, like, that. you know, I don't even know how many you times I saw, but they were playing, I was just like, man this is going to be, you know, it's going to be huge. It's just going to be, a, it's going to be a big thing, you know, like I just had that feeling because I was just like, and 7 they were already, you know, on their way up anyway. But I'm like, this is really going to be like way bigger than I thought it was going to be, you know, which it did turn out that way, you know. It's like,
0: oh, yeah, you're pretty good looking for a girl, but you're back.
2: But yeah, I was like, you know, I mean, that's the thing. And in Detroit too, at least back then, it was always like, it was always us against them. I could talk about the white stripes, but if you didn't live in Detroit, then you weren't allowed to talk about the white stripes around me, you know, kind of thing. Right, right. You know, we're allowed to talk about each other, but. If you're not from here, then nope, you you know, you can't do it, kind of thing.
1: Was there a closeness with the bands that you were surrounded by? Because, like, you were around in, like, the best Detroit uh, musical era, in my opinion. Like, you're with Whirlwind Heat, the Von Bondies, Dirt Bombs, Bantam Roost. Like, you're just with so many different bands at the same time. Was there a closeness between you all? I think yeah. so, definitely. You
2: know, it was like, like I said, it was us against them though. You know, when Detroit first started blowing up, we didn't really want people moving to Detroit. You know, <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> right. you know, we don't want you coming here and putting together your lame band. That's going to sound like this version of, you know, the Go and the White Stripes or, you know, it was like, there's definitely a camaraderie there. And we all hung out at like the same five bars. You know, or <laughs> it was like, it was like the same five bars or Diamonds Recording Studio, you know, like oh yeah, yeah or no, can I come on up? All right, you know.
1: If any of you guys had any modicum of success, was there like a, everybody kinda celebrated or was there more of a Jealousy thing. What was like the feeling going on around that time?
2: You know, probably a little bit more of a jealousy thing. I mean, everybody's happy because basically if one of us does well, everybody does well. So, you know, it's right. and stuff. But yeah, there's definitely some jealousy. But, you know, I think it was more just kind of... It was jealousy so much as just more annoyance. Um, mm-hmm. Having to hear about the same band over and over and over again and how great they are. And it's just like... Yeah, but you know, I, I, I'm pretty cool too. Just here to say they go. So, I mean, I, I guess that's jealousy. I guess for me, I'm just I just get annoyed here like the same thing over and over again. Like when the Go first got signed to Sub Pop, and people were talking about them all the time. But I'm like, yes, they're great, but I'm really sick of people telling me about them. You know, right? I mean, it was also though, it's you know, it was... You know, I worked in a freaking record store, and I went and saw bands all the time, and I played in a band, and I hung out in the bars, and so basically, like, my whole life was freaking music, which was great, but that's yeah. kind one, of, you know, one of the things you gotta deal with is that kind of thing. But yeah, I don't, I mean, I, there probably was some jealousy, I mean, I'm capable of being a little jealous myself, but I won't admit it freely, but no, it was cool.
1: I understand the sentiment. Me and Paul both come from art-related fields.
2: Oh, uh, Okay. I
1: 100% get it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you take the White Stripes, for example. You know, it's like the White Stripes, you know, were like they blew up. Well, they were from Detroit. Detroit was already kind of bubbling under anyways, but they took off. They did, you know, Jack did a good job. They did a good job of making sure that, you know, it wasn't just the White Stripes. It was White Stripes and Detroit.
1: Yeah. They benefited. We benefited. It seemed that Jack and Meg were pretty cognizant of that.
0: Mm -hmm, Um, Yeah. At
1: least when you watch, like, there's that. Dutch documentary and he and Meg actually both make a point to be like no if we get a little bit we want to bring everybody else in and it, it seems like there was also like a closeness with some more than others or people who resented it more than others and obviously Jack had fallings out with certain people and kept in touch and and all that stuff with others so it's a it's, yeah, it's a, a give and take. Obviously, at a certain point, it sort of drove him out of town, at least from his perspective. But now he's sort of coming back and dipping his toe, it seems, back in those waters. So it seems like some of those wounds have healed a little bit. Uh, but let I mean, speaking of endings, Bantam Rooster called it quits around 2003. Tell us a little bit about that transition. And you, know, you had started Detroit City Council around that time? Yeah, I, I started doing
2: De- Detroit City Council. I started... I started doing that when I was in Band of Rooster and the Dirt Bombs. And the original recordings, we did a whole album, but basically it was just me and Diamond calling different people in. And, you know, they'd come in and show them a song. So you got, you know, that's why you got like Mick on some songs and Danny on some songs and a lot of other people on there. And so, like I said, when I was doing Band of Rooster and the Dirt Bombs, I mean, I was on the road quite a bit, you know, six to eight months out of the year usually. And uh, right. and when I first got married, that was fine because my wife was in grad school, so she'd rather have my ass out of the house anyway and wait for <laughs> her. So it was fine. But then she graduated, and you know, and I, I kind of missed her. And shit. so yeah, I started I started. To, want to take it easy and that kind of stuff i think i just kind of let bantam rooster go and i quit the dirt bombs and was just doing detroit city council and, and plus it's the dudes from acid jazz wanted to work with detroit city council so okay cool you know that'll be fun different. But yeah, I think I just was like, okay, I'm done being in a bunch of bands. I just want to be in one band, <laughs>
1: you know. Yeah, it takes a toll, I'm sure, especially being out of the house for that long. I know it's difficult doing what me and Paul do and having a family life at the same time. It's it's really tough to to kind of manage right. that kind of stuff. Yeah. Like the uh, the comic book industry equivalent would be like going to a bunch of shows and yeah. then suddenly you find you're not home very often and your life is suffering for it, so. Yeah. Well, let's get back on track real quick. We're we're almost we're almost done. Okay. Uh, I know I know you got to get back to life without me and Paul here. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've got so much going on right now. So, um, but uh, you've you've produced records by the uh, Detroit City Council and uh, Secret Liberation Army, which features a friend of the show, Jim Diamond, who we've interviewed as well. Do you find the uh, the producer's chair a, a natural fit? What was it like producing a producer?
2: The thing about it is that, you know, it, it, me working with Jim is that we're both always kind of producing, you know, because it's just are yeah. like, you know, it's like we work together so many times, but also, you know, we've been friends for so many years. So it's just like, you know, and I don't really know. I'm not a big tech guy, so I don't really know. Like, oh, it's who's the impedance on this, you know, <laughs> you know, I really, more compression, uh, damn it, more compression. But I can, you know, but I can turn to Jim and go, hey, Jim, make it sound more orange. And he's like, okay. <laughs> you know, and it's like, back in the day, a producer was like the guy that chose the songs you were going to do and did all this and that. And now it's kind of more to do with like the arranging of the music, you know, as well as, you know, the recording and stuff. But I think if you, you know, if you have a good engineer, then you probably don't need a producer. <laughs> I, don't
0: need
2: <laughs> I don't know, but I know. But, you know, but I, I'm lucky because I can, I, can, I well, could always go, and, you know, before Jim moved to freaking Europe, he left me in the dust, but I could always be like, you get everything recorded. I'd be like, okay, you know what I want. And I'd just leave. And Jim would send me the stuff like a couple days later. But yes, I took production credit because I wanted to try to get some production gigs. Mm-hmm it didn't pan out but that's all right you know
1: did you get to sit behind a, a big desk with a lot of switches uh with sunglasses on going like we need more <laughs> levels how many levels can you give me yeah you've just recorded your first number one <laughs> yeah you know I have my
2: revolver sitting on the uh on the table there next to me like mm. <laughs> yeah it's a um, like I said, me working with Jim, we worked together so much, and it was just kind of like, he definitely was the producer on most things, but still, you know, I was kind of calling the shots as well. So, you know, we just, right. but we kind of, we, we both kind of always wanted the same thing. There was like one, <laughs> this one night where we were in the studio and, uh, we might have been particularly drunk or high at the time, but we're like, let's do a Def Leopard mix of this Bantam Rooster song. And so Jim's got like the snares, like the, you know, the <laughs> explosion sound and stuff. It was pretty funny. But I don't know if we actually kept those recordings. I
1: hope not, but. <laughs> I mean, I'm on the opposite fence there. I really hope so, and I want them released now. <laughs> <laughs> you had some interaction with another friend of the show, uh, Jared Coral, where Jared was able to put out the Bantam Rooster 7-inch show tarantula oh, yeah. which had co on it too can you tell us a little bit about how you got involved with Jarrett and jet plastic recordings
2: yeah well that single was supposed to come out in like i don't know like 2000 or something right <laughs> It was really supposed to come out on italy records mm-hmm. i'm not quite sure why it never got released except that you know dave buick i love the man you know you're familiar with dave right yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah yeah i say you know he manages the third man store in detroit now but Bass for the go and stuff, but yeah. As far as you know, the record is him having Italy Records. I mean, it was a cool record label and stuff. But you go over to Dave's house and there'd be like orders stacked up from like three months prior, like on his table and stuff. So, <laughs> you know, it wasn't a real go-getter, right? <laughs> So uh, <laughs> He was a
1: real go bassist, but he wasn't a real go-getter. It go just get never
2: it. got released. Like, I was just, you know, it just never got released. And then uh, a couple of years ago, then Jarrett sent me, I think it was the first time we talked or something, he was like he was like, oh, yeah. He's like, Dave was telling me about this single that never got released and blah, blah, blah. He goes, do you mind if I talk to Jim and see if he's got to see if we can put it out? And I'm like, no, yeah, go ahead, you know. <laughs> talked to Jim and Jim still had copies of the recording Mm. and I was like oh I wonder if it was really funny because I'm like oh because I had come up with the idea for the cover with co a schoolgirl with the shotgun oh for some reason I thought that was really funny but um anyways (laughs) anyway so I'd come up with that idea so I was like oh it'd be cool to have that original artwork and so I'm sitting there and I'm like going through like all these zip drives old school zip drives you know the big old <laughs> fat ones and stuff and i'm like oh they gotta be on one of these and then i remember I'm like oh this is before this even existed it was before everything was all digital i'm like
1: this-? it's on the seven and a half inch floppies that's yeah what mean.
2: so i just had <laughs> yeah. to go down to the basement and dig through a couple boxes and i found the original prints that we'd done <laughs> Wow. that had been made like then uh and then my buddy Tony and I laid out that cover from it but yeah it was pretty cool I mean it was fun and it was I I like that single I mean originally I did that like we kind of did that we were doing it was between it was just after Mike had joined the band and we were getting ready to do an album but I was like oh we should go in and do some singles just to get you used to recording with Jim and I because we Kind of work a little differently than a lot of other people, and uh so we went in and we recorded three singles and uh and that was one of them and i had I had the idea to have Co come in and play on it because I really wanted to encourage her to like write and sing. At the time she was just playing keyboards in uh, the come ons and I was like, Oh, oh yeah. you you know, you could do so much more than that. So I was you know, that's what and the impetus was like, I'll have Co come do something, you know, play on it and everything and I knew she played bass. I'm like, Why don't you come play bass, write a song? You write a song for me to sing, I'll write a song for you to sing and it'll be fun. It'll be a good time. And it was, it was a good time.
1: Nice. I want to thank you for your time, real quick. Do you want to talk about the formation of choke chains? Oh yes, yeah, shit, that's
2: right. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about what I'm doing now. Hey, that's a good Yeah, idea. yeah.
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> choke chains pretty, pretty
2: freaking fun. When I moved over to this side, I'm, I live on the west side of Michigan now, I'm like right on, on beautiful Lake Michigan. But it's kind of like I said, I'm pretty isolated up here. You know, we're it's. Is not much for me where I live, but just out to meet the old drummer from the Chinese Millionaires, who are a band that Banna used to play with a lot back in the day. Mm-hmm. Really, really good band. I recommend the album if you ever can find it. down to Grand Rapids and he's like kept bugging me about doing a band and so finally we started doing something with he and his wife singing. His wife's from Memphis and she said, Oh, I sang in the choir. I'm like, okay cool. So you know I'm thinking like, you know, oh it's you know, Memphis, Southern Baptist was, you know, she'd probably really sing. And so we started to practice. And it turns out she was a Mormon. But no, but it was it was fun. But from that we got our bass player <laughs> This guy, Chris Butler, we call him Chiz. That's his pet name.
0: Uh, uh-huh.
2: He had lived in Chicago and it, I had met him and started playing with him and they had moved up from Chicago. He and his wife had moved up to Chicago like a few years prior and it turns out he played in like a couple bands that a band Rooster used to play with all the time in Chicago and, uh, but they all wore masks so I didn't really know it was him. Right. But he had also played in a band with the Chinese Millionaire's guitar player after that guy had moved to Chicago. So we got Chiz and then Wendy, our figure, she went on tour with no bunny and came back and decided that she didn't want to be in the band anymore for some reason i don't think that had Mm -hmm. anything to do with no bunny but while she was gone we had kind of started to write some different stuff that probably wouldn't have worked with her singing anyway so then we Mm -hmm. so then we just started doing choke change and it's been a lot of fun music for a couple of years where I just couldn't freaking do anything, and then I kind of started to come back to feeling like doing it. Um, my wife and I lived out in Memphis for a winter, and I played with Eric Oblivion's band, True Sons of Thunder, and then and suddenly I'm like, oh, wait a oh. minute, that's right, music is fun. I'm <laughs> having fun. You know, and like, you know, that kind of got me going, so now it's nice with Choke Chains, because now I'm back, I'm into music, I'm back buying records, and I'm back playing shows and having a good time, and it's fun. That's correct. I never really wanted to be famous, but, you know, I'd like to make famous money, but you got to be famous to make famous money. <laughs> <laughs> and so if I'm not going to be making any money, then it better at least be fun, right? So yeah, so it's been a good time and everything. But yeah, it's been nice. And we definitely inspire each other. And we've been getting out and doing, you know, we play anywhere within like a 12-hour radius. When you live in Michigan here, it's like anything, you know, that includes like Green Bay, Wisconsin, or New York City. <laughs> yeah. So we, you know, we're able in Memphis and stuff. So we're able to get around quite a bit. too getting to get out of town and and play some shows and you know and then getting to go do like play like goner fest or any of these other fests you know it's nice to go to like somewhere like where i'm cool again
1: (laughs) your album android sex worker has some of the best names i've ever heard on any album uh, Uh, including uh, mayan starship galactic overlord and my personal favorite sunday going to Meetin' whore yeah yeah oh thanks those are all mine so (laughs) she's right Uh, too but is i will break you based off of the the famous rocky line
2: no, no, it's not. actually okay. I, I Will Break You was, because originally I wrote that for uh, Wendy to sing in the in the band prior to Choke Chains, and then Lindsay sang it, because basically, like, the band before it was Jackpot with Wendy singing it, but I, I did most of the songwriting, or, or Chisholm and I did. But so, so my whole idea was, like, you know, we've got a female singer, so let's write, like, these really... Misogynistic songs for this girl to <laughs> sing, you know, like something like "I will break you." Like if I were to sing that, I'd I'd, I'd, I'd sound like a horrible person. I probably,
0: <laughs> you know,
2: I'd be like, I'd, I'd sound like a total, <laughs> but you know.
1: Is there anything on the pipeline uh, for the choke chains? Are you guys doing anything coming yeah, up? Yeah, well,
2: you talking about you talked about Jarrett earlier, and we're working on a record for Jarrett, uh, Fox, cool. uh for Jet Plastic, and then uh, and then a couple other things. We're kind of like. You know, nowadays with vinyl being so popular, it's you know the stuff that you know used to be you recorded a record and two months later it'd be out. And now it's like you know, oh, it's going to be like eight months because they got to repress that Eagles album for the millions. <laughs> <laughs> so, so our plan for this year is we're just going to re- we're going to record like three albums and then just uh, send them off to the labels. And you know, when they come out, they come out. Maybe they'll come out this year. Maybe sure. next year. But Jared's definitely first on the list because we've been talking to him about it for a while now.
1: Nice. Jarrett's awesome, and his attitude is fantastic toward music. We found a lot in common with him. Getting to know him through this podcast, so that's been really great. I have to ask, out of curiosity, I mean, Third Man Pressing is set up to tackle projects a lot, like Choke Chains and things like that. Is that well, yeah. in, in terms of actually pressing the records? Has there been any curiosity on your part to look into perhaps re-engaging with the uh, with the old friends again, or is that not really on your on your radar?
2: Well, you know, it's it's just one of those like because I don't live over there i don't you know i mean we get to detroit every once in a while and it's kind of one of those where like we go over and play detroit and of course most everybody that we're friends with you know we've got families and mortgages and shit. so (laughs) you know not everybody comes to see us at once we get like three or four people you know coming in at a time you know and stuff so it's pretty fun but um but yeah you know it's like i see like you know like dave buick and stuff all the time and, and stuff. And i from what I understand I don't know but I'd like I'd the record we do with Jared might be pressed over there. That'd be that'd be okay. I'm sure it's a nice yeah. setup. It's always quality with Jack, so it's good. Uh, well, Tom, thank you so much
1: for joining us today. We really appreciate it. It's been an honor to talk to you and we really look forward to hearing the new stuff you've got coming out. Where can people find your stuff online? Uh, Choke Chains, Facebook page, where can they go?
2: Well, probably the cheapest way to do it would be go to, the, to go to the individual record label pages or something and buy it. We had... Android Sex Worker, that came out. That's on a German label. And so, you know, you can order that from Amazon for like 20
1: bucks. Like 20 right. bucks. <laughs> yeah, that's that on is... uh, Hound, Hound God Records. Hound God, yeah. You also have a, a release on Solid Sex Lovey Doll Records, which uh, the Dirt Bombs also had a release on. Oh, and yeah, I, just love yeah, yeah. I love that name to death.
2: <laughs> and Solid Sex Lovey Doll, that was the first choke chains released.
1: Isn't that an Italian... It's an Italian label, I think. Yeah, he's an Italian guy.
2: Freddie's it's Freddie. Uh, a Zanudo. He's a he's an Italian guy, although he lives over in England now. Sadly, originally when he started the label back up, he started the label back up, and we were one of the we weren't one of the first releases. We were we were in there. Um, but originally, he was supposed to have support from uh, record labels slash store in Chicago. They were going to press the stuff up here for distribution here and everything. And then somehow it didn't pan out. So he kind of got screwed because, you know, shipping nowadays from. Europe is just insane. So, you know, you can't can't sell these singles for like less than 15 bucks. It's just outrageous. But yeah, Freddie sent me an email. He's like, hey, I don't know if you remember me. I'm like, yeah, I remember you. (laughs) That's a really great name. And I did a record with you. So we did that. (laughs) I like that Durban's record we did with him
1: too. looks like you can also check out Slovenly Recordings has a a band camp where it looks like a lot of this stuff is up there too. So people want to check
2: it out. The Slovenly site should, should have like yeah, at least it should have the first album. And then we also had a record come out on um, Heel Turn Records out of Cleveland. Columbus, sorry. Sorry, mm-hmm. Cleveland or Columbus <laughs> or whoever. But um, no, but out of Columbus called Heel Turn Records that we're pretty happy with, too. And so that's Heel Turn, like when a wrestler goes bad. Right. And I definitely, that one you can get pretty reasonably right through the record label. Yeah. I know, like,. Uh, slovenly carries more of them than just I think they've got like the solid sex lovey single and I think they've got the heel turn record as well up on their distribution
1: well that's awesome we encourage all of our listeners to check that stuff out and thank you again Tom it's been awesome talking to you thank you so much
2: well it's been a pip I hope you guys got what you wanted
1: (laughs) we did yeah all right, well, well, cool.
2: We, kick me to the yeah, curb we,
1: then. Yeah, we, all we wanted was a hello, and then we got this whole interview. So I'm very, yeah. I'm very happy, and, and thank you so much, Tom. Great stories, great everything, guys out there. Check out Choke Chains. Thank you so much, Tom. All
2: right, well, you guys
1: have a great night. Thanks so much, Tom. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs> Bye. Thank you again to Tom Potter for joining us today. That was such a fascinating conversation. Loved hearing the stories about Jack and the loved hearing the stories about the other Detroit bands and really recommend highly choke chains to everybody out there. Check them out. That's Tom's new stuff and really good sound stuff. Yeah, and super appreciative for your time. Thank you for coming on the show. Loved hearing those stories about sympathetic sounds and all that. Really cool getting some more insight into that. I think we keep getting more and more insight into that the more. <laughs> People yeah. we have on the show. So it's it's interesting. I think that started out as a mystery to me and you, Paul, and, and now it's it's slowly being uncovered. Yeah. So, yeah, thank you so much, and you're welcome on the show anytime. Yeah. Or come to Allentown, grab a beer with me. Let's get drunk again. It'll be fun. Yeah. Speaking of things we're thankful for, we'd like to give some shout-outs today. People have been tweeting about the show and Facebooking about the show and got uh, just a really active facebook page twitter page we're getting so many new followers on tumblr you know maybe i'll rattle off some tumblr uh, followers people who are fo- have been who've been adding us on tumblr here retumbling us is that what they call it i think it it might be <laughs> i think it's possible they call it that paul but why don't you tumble on down and give us a list of those yeah. fun tumble tumblows as i okay. like to call them the tum tumblords tumble- we got a lot of so we have so many people who have joined us. Uh, we have, uh, this is a great Tumblr handle, Pink Floyd Pasta. Thank you Ooh. for following us. Pink Floyd Pasta. We have mm. Pamu, which looks like a little play on Shamu, which is kind of fun. We've got Virgin Demon. and Okay. Awesome. Oh, this is, dude this these are just amazing names i I'm just reading these now. These are all people who are following us but uh thank you to Hank the dank one 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 man I want to be best friends with Hank the dank one 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 Hank the dank is, I guess that's... Hank the dank four twenty was taken mm-hmm mm mm-hmm. they went with the one 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 instead maybe a jack thing. We also have flamboyant clairvoyant um, okay these are worth it just for the names my god uh this one's this one's sort of standard i aisha 602 blog so okay and then we have wake jm that's w-e-i-c-k-j-m all right glimmer falls it's kind of fun jack on fire but the e and fire is the number three which is lovely ah. we have frankly brilliant okay alice overdosed blog whoa that's a cry okay. for help, I think. Just Keep Rambling is another one. Thank you so much. The, as the cafe was closing, Blake the Bowl, lots of you. Thank you so much for uh, following us on Tumblr. If you'd like to follow the show on Tumblr, we'd love to have you there. It's just another place where we post links and stuff, you know? It's just a fun little place. It's a fun little gathering that we mm-hmm. can have together, and Paul can read your names like it's some kind of weird beat poetry down in the village. Yep. Hank the Dank 411. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I guess it was 111, but you know what? 411 would be better. Here's my advice to you, Tumblr. <laughs> <All of> Tumblr. <laughs> Nothing but gold. On top of that, we have listeners who are with us day in and day out. Listeners such as Ben Beerman Blues Karns. We've got Kate McCoy, The Bones of the Operation. My Oh Me, It's Me Oh My. Jeremy Riles, Keeping Us On Those Rails. Andre, Ice Cold Lie Man. Eileen Corsano, I see you over there. We have Kelly Durga, the third person in spirit, every week. We have the Red Red Rain Prosper. We've got Amy Hart, the heart of the operation. We've got Du Wells <noise> mm-hmm. 2.0. We've mm. got Eric Andrew Dotson over here. David Poe, 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 We've got S.A. Franco. What does that even mean?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We've got Yvette Wilkins. She's Wilkin on sunshine. We've got... Brendan <laughs> and <laughs> 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 Smith. Brian Walter, be nicer to me. There's no right opinion for you here. Go away. And on top of all that, we've got... Brett. Bret, Bret. Mangarski. <laughs> I'm making it happen. Brett. Oh, Paul. Paul's going with a jet thing. I'm going to go with... Brett uh, Plastic Recordings. B- Brett, no, because that's that's Jared's thing. Let's go with... Br- Brett Garbanzo. Gar- all right, all right. <laughs> okay, well, I am willing to concede Brett. the Hitman Garski. It's getting Bretter. Uh, yep, okay, so uh, we Brett- have... Bretton Benson Garski. Yep. We have our regular listeners. Thank you so much to all of you. If you would like to become one of our regular listeners, that's easy. You can reach out to us on social media, and head to facebook.com/thirdmen. You can follow us on Twitter at thirdmencast, and head to Tumblr as we talked about earlier, on thirdmenpodcast.tumblr.com. You can visit our WordPress site. That's thethirdmen.wordpress.com. That's where we keep some old show notes and post all the episodes and stuff. You can send us an email, thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can visit us where we host the show. That's on PIPPA. That's P-I-P-P-A. And you can go on Pippa. And search the third men on there, and thank you to the good folks at Pippa who have been just opening all kinds of new doors for us. And uh, actually, James, just yesterday was a record day for downloads of the yesterday and today podcast, which is the Ooh. podcast we produce for our father, Wayne Kaminsky. Uh, thanks to Pippa, I'm able to track the different analytics that uh, led us to know that we did something right, evidently yesterday. So, thank you to the good folks at Pippa. And if you'd like to check out some really cool animations that James does of some of the skits and bits from the show you can go to uh youtube and search the third man on youtube we're all over there and then please rate review and subscribe on itunes it would be awesome if you did that it's really easy to do and fast to do and uh if you don't want to do that you could also refer a friend but it would be great if you rate reviewed and subscribed on itunes yes paul how's this sound the brett three killed my Garsky? all right okay <laughs> it's it's good let's do that <laughs> <laughs> it's not great look we're not great at this no but it's going in uh-huh you don't we haven't written any of the other ones did you just <laughs> write it down so we don't forget it <laughs> okay uh you could also send us a listener question um yeah and you could uh we'd also like to thank Susanna roundtree for her delightful intros and outros to our program as well as sam Kubert and tom valenti for the help with our theme song we're the third men it's fantastic they are fantastic Thank you. Yeah, and that's all from us here, folks. (laughs) And uh, I think until next episode, James, I will be looking for a home in the doghouse. Yeah, and I'll be looking for a home on Long Island where Johnny Liberty can no longer (laughs) yell at me about his kid. (laughs) All right, see you next time. Bye. Do we call it or do we keep it? Welcome. show. Anything that you want to talk about is uh, fine by us. If you have any weird political stances, now's the time. <laughs>
2: um,
0: <laughs> I don't have any weird ones, I
2: don't think, but... Okay, right. all right. Uh, yeah. I have some very firm ones, but...
1: <laughs> we're like a we're like a, a a really unsteady soapbox. So you can stand on it; it just may crumble under you at any moment. Uh, if there's anything uh, that you don't want to talk about or anything, just uh, tell us to go f- ourselves, and uh, we will kindly go do that.
2: Okay, my safe, and,
1: word, is, my safe word is bananas. How about that? Okay, okay bananas. Got it. Sounds good. I'll just cross Into off all the banana related question we <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I am talking. I am 5 minutes late to this call, which is a record for me. <laughs> I'm usually way later. <laughs> I said, if, if you don't want us to put, us put that, that in, that we don't, don't have to. to okay.
2: maybe well, you know, lose, maybe leave maybe it, okay. it out or something. Maybe it out. Okay, yeah, perfect. Yeah. That way people will know you're privy to that information and they're not. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know? uh, I'm reading the wrong question. Hmm? And this is check. Breaking the Fourth Wall.
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> right
1: yeah. Um... And we're all together, I think. Hello. <laughs> all right. How's it going, Tom? Good. How about yourself? Oh, doing fine. Uh, my name is James, by the way. If you didn't know, I I have no idea how much <laughs> you know about
0: me. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, it's, it's the same with music, really, you know. Yeah, it's the thing yeah, with yeah. music is that we get better drugs, so I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs>
1: For those of you who aren't in the room with us right now, James and I have respectively angered both of our wives with our loud characters, one after another, like a couple of stupid dominoes falling. Um, and it's, it's real, it's a good look for both of us. So, um, I think she's actually mad at Johnny Liberty. I don't know what to do. What (laughs) happened? Paul's like, Paul's eaten half of a six-foot hot dog. He's very uncomfortable, but he's like, no, I am too far in this. I have to finish this hot dog. I know the intestinal distress it's going to cause me. I know it's going to make me get a divorce. I know my baby's gonna hate me, but I have to finish this hot dog. I'm gonna break the fourth wall, and if you couldn't overhear that, um, Susanna is on a work Skype right now, (laughs) and she came running in here saying, Hey, (laughs) literally everyone on this call just heard Mama Lafarge. <laughs> it, but what really added to it was her running in to so tell me stop, just stop it. <sighs> <sighs> um. So I, I, Johnny Liberty just made Ariel run out of the room and slam the door. I don't. Oh, I, don't, I got the door slammed on me too. Um. Yep. So. They're, they're what we use to... They are our one Heart and, and only... We love you. We... Let's do a clean take of that. Yeah.
0: Uh, <laughs> we have...
1: Somebody
0: else. What was that? I'm
1: sorry. No, it's fine. You're right. And we could always redo this at a later time. Um.
2: I've actually never seen a Rocky movie.
1: I'll race you to the magic stick, Tom. It'll be me. And <laughs> you and we'll and there we back go. Back. All right. Woof. That's from the doghouse. Quote. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm John. I'm Bob. I'm John.
1: Right, you go? And I'm Wayne Kaminsky. You are all invited to join us on a magical mystery trip through the lives of the Beatles every week on the Yesterday and Today podcast. This show details the chronological journey of the world's most famous band using music, interviews, and rarities collected since the debut of John, Paul, George, and Ringo onto the world stage. We're a fan-made production, and we're available now on iTunes and wherever you find your podcasts. So sit back, relax, and download the stream. We hope you will enjoy the show. Hey everyone, Paul and James here to tell you about one of the best music podcasts online today. It's called Take It Away, the complete Paul McCartney archive podcast. Yeah, as longtime listeners of our show know, Take It Away and its hosts, Ryan Brady and Chris Mercer, are the authority on all things Paul McCartney, Wings, and the Beatles. Their five star rated podcast walks you through every single Paul McCartney release from 1970 to present day. That's every song on every album, including singles, B sides, bootlegs, and you will Most likely hear songs you've never Heard before which is part of the fun of the show You'll also hear old favorites From new perspectives all lovingly Placed in the context of McCartney's Career and the musical sounds of their era Yeah and don't miss the amazing interview With Denny Lane co-founder of Wings And McCartney songwriting collaborator as well as a slew of other special guest appearances that give some really cool insight into the music that spans the last 50 years. So if you're a McCartney fan, you've found your new favorite show, because I know I have. Seriously, I never miss an episode, and neither should you. That's Take It Away, the complete Paul McCartney Archive podcast, available for download now wherever you find podcasts. Check it out now!